This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. situation, you may be experiencing the stresses of isolation, worry about your health, or that of family and friends. You may be facing economic hardships. If you're lucky, you might only be struggling with working from home and keeping your household running despite the constraints. All of these situations can cause us to demonstrate and in the longer term develop resilience. It is critical to manage your expectations at this time you must reconsider your expectations of yourself and others. If you're feeling highly anxious and are somewhat numb from the changes that you are facing, this is not the time when we get to pull resilience out of thin air and start to use it. On the day of the marathon, for instance, you can use the endurance you developed during all those months or years of training. You don't develop your strength during the struggle of the run, but you get to use what you laid down in training. We only have access to the resilience we have already developed through our past efforts and experiences. So expect, at least in the short term, to just get through it. You need to hang on tight and do what seems to make sense in the moment. Be kind to yourself. Kelly Ann McKnight In this episode, Kelly Ann McKnight talks about the resilient way of living. Kelly Ann McKnight was left a widow at 45 with four children to raise. Her journey is one of courage, love, hope, and learning. In her recently published book, The Resilience Way TM, she shares her story and the story of her late husband as they navigated through cancer diagnosis, treatment, end of life, and moving forward. In the book, Kelly Ann also shares the experience of the people she met along her journey. Her research into resilience has become a model that helps others to learn about the skills they need to develop to be truly resilient. These are people just like you and me, overcoming adversity and finding their way through life. Kellyanne has also run a successful consulting business for over 20 years. Her work has involved training and coaching in the leadership development field. She now includes workshops on resilience as part of her practice. Here is the interview with Kelly Ann McKnight. In your own words, who is Kelly Ann McKnight? Oh, well, um, I am a person who has lived a lot of joyous, wonderful parts of my life. Um, and I'm also someone who's gone through some tough times at learned a lot through the process. 
Um, and I guess overall, I've ended up with a pretty blessed life. I have four beautiful children, and I have a, a great life here in, in Ontario, Canada, which is a really wonderful place to be. And I've also been able to do the work that I love to do. So I've been able to follow my dreams and, and work uh, with people, helping them to develop their own skills in leadership and management, management consulting. And then I've been able to uh, share my learning and research around resilience, which has been sort of my most recent project. Um, so yeah, I, there's many parts, many pieces to my life. And I love that diversity as well. So that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, it sounds wonderful. Thank you. I have a few warm-up questions before we talk about your book, The Resilience Way, Overcome the Unexpected and Build an Extraordinary Life on Your Own Terms. Uh, the first one is, what is life? So to me, uh, life is the experiences that we have you know, in the time that we're here. And I, I look at life as really only part of our journey, uh, because from my perspective, the time that we're here is only part of our existence. And so, yeah, to me, life is uh, the blessings, the experiences, the opportunities that we have in the here and now in the world that we're in, uh, that we sort of get to enjoy, or at least we have the opportunity to enjoy. Right. What do you think is the opposite of life? Oh, is there an opposite of life? I'm not sure that I see one. I see the opportunity to live a life fully and a good life. Uh, and the opposite then to me would be to not uh, live to your potential, to not take the opportunities that are available to you to to contribute and to, to be part of this world and to bring your gifts and, and whatever you've been given, then that would be the opposite of a good life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the way you said that, you know, not living our gifts and so not expressing them, right? Yeah, that would be the, the shame, the, the missed opportunity. Right. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Ah, so to me, freedom is a key principle that, you know, I always think of freedom as something I've enjoyed so much of in my life. I've been so incredibly lucky to be, you know, who I am, where I am. Uh, as soon as you mention the word freedom, I think about so many in the world who just don't have it and maybe have never had the opportunity to have it. So in my own world, It's really just enjoying the opportunities that are there, being able to live my life the way I want to live it. And, and I have been able to really craft my life in any way that I, I saw fit and, and also to raise my children with that kind of reality and, and hope that, you know, what do you want to be? That's your, you know, you, you, you can be it, whatever that is. And so, yeah, for us, freedom is a really different thing than it is for many, many people in the world. That's true. Yeah. What do you think is the world's greatest need? So our greatest need is most certainly love. If we all could express our love with freedom, to link it back to freedom, if we could all bring the love that we have for each other and really just, um, just offer that without conditions, without uh, it being a scarcity, um, then I think the world would be a really different place. How do you define love? 
to me, love is, it connects back to the word life. So love is the energy that we have that we bring to our lives and really to the universe, to the world. And for me, it's just that energy that we have that we can offer to ourselves first and then to others um, as we allow it to just flow and, and be and, uh, and bring that, that warmth. Yeah. I like that, Kellyanne. You just mentioned um, love for ourselves. So that will be self-love. That's wonderful. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? Oh, I believe in it. I find it really difficult. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely, I believe in it. And I think that it's an ideal for me. Um, It's not easy. And I think for many, many people, it's it's a tough one. But I absolutely believe that the more that I can love myself unconditionally, the more I can offer to others. And definitely the extent to which I don't allow myself to have that unconditional love, it takes away from what I have to offer. It takes away from my energy. It brings all the doubts. It's like putting a leash or, you know, stepping on the brakes of all of your dreams and ambitions uh, when you start to not really love yourself unconditionally. Yeah. How wonderful that you said it that way, because, yeah, I believe that too. Yeah, absolutely. What, where, and who is God to you? I've experienced God in many ways in my life. I've had the opportunity to kind of explore different religious backgrounds and ways of looking at it, all honestly in the context of Christianity for the most part. But as an adult, having sort of reflected on different thoughts, I have come to thinking about God as that love energy that we were talking about a little bit earlier. When you ask me to define love, the first thing that goes through my mind is God, that that is what I see as an energy in the universe. Uh, it connects for me. That is my spirituality. It, it's just about connecting to, to love and to light. Um, and that's God. Yeah. Um, you connected the idea of God to spirituality. And I guess I don't have this question here, but that came to mind. And I do ask some of my guests, not all of them, uh, how is being spiritual different from being religious? It's hugely different. And it's one of the topics that I cover in the book, just to help people understand that I don't believe that we gain strength necessarily from religion. I, I do know people who do. I know that the the ritual side of religion can bring comfort to some people. But for many, many of us, we actually may well have been pulled away from our spirituality, away from that energy and love because of, you know, not good experiences with religion. Uh, And so for those who've had that experience, and I've had that too, I feel that we need to just embrace our spirituality without um, any particular religious context, unless one becomes available and seems to make sense. And if one does, great. If not, then to me, it's just about connecting to that love, to that energy, to the universe, recognizing that you are not alone. And to me, that is the purpose of spirituality, is to realize that you are not, um, you know, just a person living that, you know, we talked about life. So it's not about, you know, I I was born and and I will die and that's the end of it. Um, And I'm not connected to anyone in any uh, spiritual way. In fact, I'm quite certain that we are all connected Um, And to me, that spirituality is how we 
make use of that. It's how we connect to that energy and, and are able to um, feel the strength that comes with that. Yeah. That's um, something that's interesting that happens often is that religious beliefs most of the time create separation, which is quite the opposite of spirituality. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they become also a root to make sense of our conditional love. In other words, I can't love you because you don't attend the same church. You don't have the same spiritual or religious beliefs as I have. Um, it's easier to not extend that love because of those differences. And of course, we see that all the time throughout history and in the world today. Oh, wow, Kellyanne. So you said something that I never heard before. Uh, that's almost like an excuse not to love life or others unconditionally. So they are just finding... Yeah, an answer there. Absolutely. With their religious beliefs, right? How interesting. Um, So this is the second section of the interview. And my first question had to be this one. What is your definition, your own definition of resilience? Mm. So, yeah, great question, because it's been an interesting journey as I have basically had to figure that out. What did I mean when I was thinking about resilience? There's a lot of talk about, there's a lot of articles and and pieces and work out there on resilience, and they don't all include as holistic or as maybe large a definition as what I think works. And so when I think about resilience, I'm talking about having a set of skills that help us to get through either the tough things that we encounter or the tough things we want to encounter. In other words, to me, resilience is about having the strength and the the skills to be able to deal with unexpected things and also to add into our lives those challenges that we want to go after so that we really are fulfilling our destiny. Wow. And a question that came to mind is, can this be taught to uh, children? Do you teach your children? And at what age? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a, it's a lifelong learning process. Um, and that's pretty clear that people do develop this throughout their lives and they can start anytime. Um, but certainly, in fact, I think children are naturally quite resilient. And I think that as parents, it's really our job to just nurture that. But sometimes, you know, parents will even notice that their kids are more resilient than they are. And I bet in what we're going through right now, um, people are probably noticing that, that kids are very malleable and uh, they kind of watch us to see how we're reacting. But oftentimes they just kind of find their way and they carry on and they make sense of their world because they're not often as stuck in, uh, you know, this is the way things are supposed to be. Uh, they're kind of used to things changing for them because they're always growing and changing and, and life does that. My kids have taught me that just constantly. They're, they're always teaching me that. So I feel like, yes, I have taught them resilience, but also I've learned resilience from them. Yeah, that makes sense because children are going through chains all the time, right? All the time. Exactly. Nothing's the same for them. <laughs> Last year, I couldn't ride a bike. This year, I can. Right. Uh, yeah, this year, I can <laughs> fall off a bike. <laughs> right? Oh, no. no. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Experience, right? Yeah, yeah. That is so wonderful uh, and true. Um, what was the inspiration, intention, and the process of writing your book, The Resilience Way? 
So it began by listening so many times and hearing so many times people, friends, uh, colleagues, people I worked with, uh, people who'd run into us in, in many places who kept saying, you need to write a book. And so that started, you know, going back then my first husband became ill uh, at 42 with colon cancer. And we spent three and a half years going through the process of treatment for him. And even then, as we were going through that process, people started to say, you know what, you need to write a book. And then uh, at 45, we lost him to cancer. Uh, and then it really started that people uh, kept insisting I needed, I needed to write a book. And to be honest, I hesitated and I, I pushed back. And the, the pushback was really based on the idea that I couldn't imagine why anyone else would want to read a book that I would write. Um, and in large part, I felt at the time that what we were going through, although it certainly was extraordinary, but in the grand scheme of things and in the grand scheme of what people go through, uh, I just felt like it really was not that big a deal. In other words, why would anyone want to hear about this particular story when so many people are going through so much worse there are many things worse in the world than losing a wonderful husband and father. So I hesitated, but eventually, and I would say within about a year and a half or two years after David passed, I then started to make sense of what the request really was. And I realized that what people were asking for was not the story or our story so much as an understanding of what they were noticing, which was resilience. So what they were noticing was that it wasn't what we went through, it was how we went through it that was, to their mind, extraordinary. And then as I started to think about it, I realized they were, in fact, right, that David had left an amazing example of how one might choose to go through the experience he went through. Um, he left an amazing example of how you could live your life while dying, uh, how you could continue to raise a family, have a beautiful marriage, have a beautiful life with uh, stage four colon cancer and the likelihood that you are not going to survive this. So that brought me to resilience. It brought me to a couple of years of research. It took me a long time to make sense of what I really thought were the key pieces and then to build the framework and understand that and build something I was really confident and comfortable with. Then I started gathering stories. So I found so many amazing people who, uh, you know, had, who had other stories, who had different stories, um, but were also amazing examples of resilience who'd gone through the unthinkable and come out, um, you know, with a better life than they had uh, going in. So those stories then became part of uh, the research, part of um, what ended up in the book. And so, yeah, a couple of years later, a lot of work. Um, and the book was launched. Uh, so it is story-based. It has fantastic stories of, of other people who've been through completely different experiences. Of course, my story, David's story, and um, pieces of the children's stories are, are there to demonstrate and sort of make sense of the model. But at the end of the day, my hope is that the, the model really makes sense to people. So far it does. Uh, makes sense to people and helps them to understand what, what they might want to do differently uh, and better to be more resilient. Wow. I do have a question here about the qualities of resilient people share. You talked about David and then all the other people you mentioned in the book. 
But then I guess we'll be talking about this in the section where we can explore each element of resilience. That's what you call them. Um, so let me ask you perhaps one question before that. Would you say that that um, experience of losing your husband was the most challenging experience? Yeah. Oh, no question. Um, I I often think about how as a child, I didn't have a particularly easy childhood. And I remember as a young adult thinking, often thinking uh, about a challenge I might be considering taking on. And I would often think, well, you know, it can't be worse than what I've already been through. Um, and then David was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. All of a sudden, that didn't make any sense anymore. That I, I think I knew then that what I was about to go through was much more challenging than anything I'd ever experienced in the past. But that's part of the learning is that um, you know those skills that I learned as a child, and the skills that David learned as a child, the skills that we learned together as younger adults. Um, really set us up to have the resilience we needed to get through that incredibly difficult experience. I don't know if this is sound, sounds strange or not. I, maybe it does, but um, it's real for me that when I look at that experience now, I tend to see it in terms of the blessings and not in terms of the challenge or or the negatives. Um, I, I tend to think about the joyous times we had and the blessing of having had him for three and a half years after diagnosis and the blessing that those three and a half years were so critical for our children. Uh, you know, the, they were still little. Uh, the littlest one was was not very old when her daddy died, but she was only four when he was diagnosed. So, uh, you know, that was an enormous blessing to have him for for that time and to be able to make use of that time because it wasn't horrible. Um, it wasn't all about cancer. It wasn't all about chemotherapy. It was about living our lives and raising our children while dealing with chemotherapy and other treatments. That is incredible, Kellyanne, about the, the way you speak, the strength I can hear in your voice and um, the state of mind of um, almost like gratitude. Oh, absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah, really, thank you for, for being a model. Great, amazing example of that, of strength of the heart. That's wonderful. Why is storytelling a critical part of the resilience way? Good question. So I'm used to stories. Um, I've understood the power of stories for a long time. And certainly in my work as a leadership consultant and facilitating leadership development, I've always understood the the value of stories. They make the concepts real for us and they make things that might be otherwise kind of abstract or hard to understand, um, very easy to understand and remember. So I always understood that. But to be honest, the, the reason the stories became so, such an important part of the resilience way was really more about what I said earlier about how I've always felt that our story, it was only remarkable to us. Um, and I always felt like there were other people who had experienced and survived so much more. And so uh, that is where those stories came from. And so the process for me was that I had collected really two stories were key. One was about a, a woman, a young woman who left uh, North Vietnam after uh, what they called the American War, after the Vietnam War, and had a very difficult, difficult journey finding her way and eventually 
uh, settling in Canada and now raising a family here. But her, her journey really resonated with me. Uh, and then the other one was another a friend who uh, who had an incredibly difficult cancer journey, one where it was, a, you know, the diagnosis was basically uh, the worst it could be, uh, and she survived. And so those two stories, once I had them, they became such a driving force for the book because I felt that they were stories that I then had to share. They were stories that I knew other people would be able to read and make sense of and you know really be able to use in their lives. And so the stories ended up being really important, not just from a learning perspective, but also from the perspective of it was like I, I had been gifted these beautiful stories and I had to write the book in order for them to have a place. And that became a driving force for me. Yeah, that makes sense to me because then they are inspiration of strength. That's what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the elements of resilience. You have five of them. This is the exact order or it doesn't really have an order? There is no order. No. Um, I use the mandala imagery to try and uh, make sense of that. And so, yes, there's absolutely no need to start in any place. And the reality is we've all already started, right? So we all have strengths and we have areas we might want to develop in the five elements. And so, yeah, I wouldn't want anyone to think they must start in one place. It's really just about recognizing where you are. And that's one of the reasons why we built a self-assessment to accompany the book and the work so that people can get a sense of what am I already good at and what do I need to develop? But there's absolutely no no need to start in any particular place. I would suggest, you know, start by looking at what you're already good at and recognize that you have some skills here already. Now, how can we use those to help us develop the areas that we we want to develop? Yeah, I like that. So um, let's begin with um, I have an order here. So there's no order, but th I have an order <laughs> of discussion. Um, the first one is emotional well-being, self-awareness, mental wellness and spirituality. Talk to me about that, Killian. So self-awareness is understanding your emotional state. How are you feeling? An awareness of your emotions and, and sort of where they are. People get into a lot of trouble because they just don't recognize how they're feeling in any particular moment or what's going on for them. Um, and then mental wellness is, just as it suggests, it's about mental health. I think We are starting to get more comfortable talking about mental health, but um, I spent a lot of time in the book really understanding what are some of the key areas, the common areas that people uh, get into trouble with in terms of mental health and really making the point that we all need to be aware of our mental health, recognizing when and how it's not strong and making sure that we're getting what we need in those moments. And I even suggest, and from my, from my experience, it's true that there's very few of us who don't have to deal at some point in our lives with some elements of mental wellness. I think that most of us, uh, you know, will have moments or, or significant parts of our lives where this is an issue. Um, and when we pretend it isn't, we make it 
so much worse. Um, and we certainly take away our, our resilience when we do that. So that's a key piece. And then uh, spirituality is, as I, as I mentioned earlier, spirituality for me and in the context of resilience is about understanding your connection to the universe, understanding that you're not alone. And, you know, for anyone who doesn't have that piece, who doesn't understand that they're connected, it tends to really impact on their ability to be resilient, to really just understand, um, you know, the challenges that are in front of them and be able to feel comforted and supported as they try and deal with things. Um, so again, it's not about religion. It's not about, uh, you know, there's no prescription here. It's just about understanding for you and it's such a personal thing for you, what does spirituality mean? Uh, you know, for you, what do you believe? What makes sense to you? What can you find in, in the world in terms of um, a spiritual foundation that will make sense for you? Right. Then personal clarity, personal values, personal vision and planning. Right. So this piece I knew was key because I had felt the importance of these pieces and personal clarity in general throughout my own journey. So as long as I can remember, I've had a pretty good clarity around what matters to me. That's the personal values uh, around my, what my dreams were, what I really wanted to accomplish in my life. That's my personal vision. Um, and I've been pretty good at having a plan in place. I'm not a natural planner, but I've been pretty good at recognizing the need to have some specific plans in place to, to, to be working towards your vision. Otherwise, it's just a dream. And you, and you know people who, who sort of live their lives with great ideas, but nothing ever actually happens. So I knew that as I went through the difficulty of uh, of a cancer journey with David and then of carrying on without him, I recognized the importance and the strength that I derived from having that clarity. And what was interesting was that, of course, my vision and my plan for sure had to change. You know, when your husband is diagnosed with stage four colon cancer at 42, some things are going to change in your life. And they did. But I still knew, um, you know, what really mattered to me. I knew that I, the long-term plan hadn't really changed. I still intended, uh, you know, to continue uh, all the things that brought me joy. And so having that clarity allowed me to adjust my plan in a way that didn't feel like I was falling into a hole. It felt like I was just moving things around to make sense of my new reality uh, with still having a long-term vision for where I was headed. Yeah. You know, um, I have asked this question before, and I'm going to ask you too. What is the difference between values and beliefs? I think so. Values are things that we need to have present in our lives in order to be comfortable they might be beliefs. And so, for instance, I have a value around honesty. Um, so I have to be honest. I have to have people around me who are honest with me or I have, a really, I have a really difficult time wanting to be in a relationship with that individual. So that's kind of a belief, you know, the belief that honesty matters supports my value. But I could have a value that isn't really about a belief. So I have a value around um, managing my health. You know, I mean, it's based on the belief that 
health matters, but it's not so much a belief as right. a, an idea, right? Yeah, or experience. Just by going through something, it becomes wisdom, becomes a, a value, right? Yes. Yeah, beliefs sometimes, they they cannot be real. Yeah, they might not be real. Um, so the next one, the next element is supportive relationships. Seek support, support others, and boundaries. Yes. So this is an interesting one because I found that when I listened to people's stories, when I looked at what other people were, uh, you know, were finding resilience in and what was mattering, what was really resonating in terms of resilience, I did find that um, you can't go it alone. <laughs> yeah, and it was true for me always, but as I, and I wondered, well, is that my people orientation or, or is this true for everyone? And what I found is that in fact, to some degree, this is true for everyone, that um, we need to be able to find people who can support us when we need support. Um, and, and some people are not very good at that. Some people are not very good at asking for help, asking for advice, asking for uh, you know, meals to be made at a time when we're sick or, uh, you know, children to be taxied around if we if we need some time to recoup, um, you know, or even just, um, you know, someone to bounce ideas off of. That is incredibly important in terms of resilience. And we'll all craft or we'll all figure out, you know, what that looks like and it'll be different for everyone. But that's an important piece. Um, supporting others is very obvious for some people. Some people do this all the time. It's, it's, in fact, they can do it too much that, you know, that they don't, they don't even care for themselves as much as they need to, because they're so busy caring for other people. Um, but nevertheless, that is a key piece that we, by helping others, we, uh, we feel strength and we feel like we have utility and we have, um, you know, we're extending our love and we're, we're getting love back. And so uh, that's an important piece. And then boundaries is a tough one for lots of people. Uh, and that's a tricky one because that's where you start to recognize in terms of supportive relationships, which of those relationships are not supporting you. Uh, and then what boundaries do we need to put in place in order to uh, to create a supportive relationship. And so it might be that you decide this relationship needs to end, um, that this person needs not to be in my life. And I think we need to give ourselves permission under some circumstances. And, and I think many of us have seen those circumstances where that person, in fact, needs not to be part of our lives. And then there are lots of situations where something a little, um, a little less dramatic or a little less, um, you know, severe is necessary, which is just saying, you know what, there's parts of the relationship with this person. It might be a parent. It might, I often think of family in these situations because, you know, these people are going to be in our lives, whether, you know, whether we, uh, we're struggling or not, but what boundaries do we need to put in place so that we can take what needs to be there and not have this person interfering with our resilience. And to me, that's the key question is to what degree is this relationship interfering with my strength, interfering with my resilience? And what can I do to create some boundaries around how I'm going to allow that person to interact with me? Yeah, I like that. And that makes me think about the first one that we talked about, the emotional well-being, self-awareness, right? Self-knowledge. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then the next one is dynamic thinking, confidence, realism, and learning focus. So this is an interesting one, and it has a lot of pieces, but 
basically what we're talking about here is a combination where we have to have the confidence to know that whatever we have dreamed up, whatever our vision is and and our plan is in place, we know what we want to do. We have to have the confidence to know that we can do that. Part of that is hope. So there's a section in the book that I love that talks about hope and looks at hope as as a choice, right? We, We can choose to hope for things. And really, we can have the confidence that whatever we have dreamed up, we can figure it out. We can do it. Um, not very many of us uh, have dreams so big we can't do them. Many of us have dreams that are too small to really make use of all of our talents. So you you just mentioned that boundaries link back to self-awareness. Well, and that is really how the model works. The things are very interrelated. And so your confidence, for instance, can easily relate back to seeking support. So where you don't have the skills in place, where you don't feel like you can conquer a piece of that vision, who do you need to to pull into your circle? Who do you need to ask for help, for instance? So that's the confidence piece. The realism piece is in a way kind of balances out that confidence. So we're not looking to pretend that everything is always rosy and that um, everything is always great. We want to be realistic and we want to be able to look at the world around us, to look at our own situation with some realism, with an ability to say, here are the problems that I see. Here are the gaps between where I am and where I'd like to be. And so that realism is just being able to step back and say, you know, what needs to be fixed here? What what isn't going as well as it needs to, which then leads straight into the learning focus, which is about changing habits. It's about taking that gap. It's about taking that realistic way of looking at things and saying, okay, so here's what I need to change in order to get to where I want to be. So that learning focus is all about that. It's about recognizing what needs to happen and figuring out how you're going to do it. Yeah, I love that, that you included um, that realism. It makes a lot of sense being realistic, right? So we don't fall for, um, I don't know, like grandiose ideas just for the sake of them, right, of having them. Yeah, yeah. I think it makes sense to me because I think that sometimes, depending, you know, what you're reading or what you're listening to, you'll hear people talking as if, uh, yeah, absolutely anything is possible, well, okay, but <laughs> maybe not everything. <laughs> you know, if yeah. if you if it isn't, if it truly isn't, and you sort of know, right? So then you you kind of step back and you think, you know what, that might be true for some people, but it's not for me. And and my hope is that people will really recognize that although I encourage dreaming big, I absolutely encourage dreaming big, I think then we need to use this sort of balancing act of I'm hopeful, I'm confident, I have many, many talents and many blessings and I want to use them. And then what's in my way? What is what is the problem here that I need to solve? And then let's get good at solving problems because many of us really struggle to make change in our habits and in our, you know, our ways of being, our ways of looking at things, um, you know, and how and when is that going to get in the way of our ability to really follow our dreams? Yeah, these are really great, Kellyanne. Really, really great. Uh, just, just one left, and um, I want to make a comment about confidence. Um, you mentioned hope. Is that somehow the same as trust? Trust in ourselves? I think um, a little bit. Like, there's uh, to me, trust is a little more complicated. I have to think about that a little bit. So, yeah, I do. I trust in myself. 
But I think hope is, again, it's a little bit different because it's not so much about me. It's about thinking in possibilities or being open to possibility, uh, which may not have anything to do with me and my skills or my confidence in myself. It's more just, you know, the opposite of hope is sort of always assuming that things are going to go wrong or that the worst case scenario is likely. And hope is about the decision to not look at the world that way. And in fact, to, to decide that chances are things will, will be okay. And if they're not, and maybe this is where the trust piece would come in, is that um, if they're not, then I, I imagine I'll be able to see my way through that, whatever that looks like. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question, though. I need to think a little more about that. Yeah, another word that we use a lot, I hear a lot, is faith. Mm-hmm. So are they somehow, faith seems to be connected now to hope, the way you describe it. Yes, I think faith is much more similar in my mind to hope. Yeah, it's that leap of faith, right? Uh, We do that, I think, I do it uh, with an idea that chances are this is going to go okay. And if it doesn't, I'll be able to handle that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And the last element is physical health, sleep, nutrition, and exercise. Yeah, so this piece... Uh, is interesting to me because I think it's it's what makes the model a holistic model in my mind. Um, it's one of the pieces that does that. And I think that when you look at resilience and the way it's talked about very often today, this isn't necessarily part of it. But in my experience, people need to look at this piece. Um, and it really is, as much as any of the elements, um, it's foundational. And you, you can't work on your vision if you can't manage your health. And anyone who, for instance, doesn't sleep well knows that, right? Uh, we need to be able to to manage our overall health and the big pieces. There's lots of pieces, but I think the big pieces are, you know, do you sleep well? And 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 for all three of them, it always comes back to if there's an issue, then where can you find the help to, to solve this problem? But I just found that, um, you know, lots of people were just not dealing with these three things. They were not worrying about or or looking at their lack of sleep, uh, lack of exercise or poor nutrition as just um, things that were somehow separate from, uh, you know, their dreams and ambitions, separate from their ideas about how they're going to get through their struggles. And in my mind, um, they're in they're completely linked, um, that you can't do one without the other. I agree. And I love the the first one. I mean, you mentioned not having an order for this, but you mentioned sleep first, and that kind of resonates. Yeah, I, I did find as I was researching, um, I'm a good sleeper. I'm just naturally, that's just, it's one of my gifts. Um, I just happen to be a good sleeper, but I recognize that it's not uncommon not to be, and it's not uncommon to struggle at least in different times of our lives. Sometimes it's, uh, it can be really a struggle. Um, but I found a lot of people really looked at it as kind of outside of their control. This is just the way it is. And I, I really have encouraged people to, to take a second look at that and, and to wonder about what's possible in terms of um, fixing that piece, because there are things that, you know, that can be done and, and there are ways that we can, uh, we can get better at that. And, and at the, at the least, let's not pretend it's not uh, worth the attention because it, it really does in, interfere with our ability to be, you know, goes right back to how emotionally comfortable and 
healthy can you be uh, if you're chronically tired? How, how much can you support other people and, and be there for them and listen well if you're, you know, you're basically always feeling like you're not getting enough sleep? So true. And I have, I think I have two more questions for you before I ask you my final questions, the last section. Uh, the, the first one um, just came to mind was about preparation. Do you believe that we can really be fully prepared for losing someone we love? Is that possible? Oh, such a good question. The answer that's coming to my mind is just, you know, can we ever be fully prepared for any struggle? And is it really a goal? Why would it need to be a goal to be fully prepared for what we know is going to be a really big struggle? Because if we wait, for instance, if you think about it in other contexts, so if If it's about following your dreams, when your dreams are really a reach, if we wait until we're fully prepared to do that, we're never going to do it, right? And if you take it to losing someone, then the connection might be if you are fully prepared to lose that person, then I guess you better stop loving them. You better stop needing them. You better change your relationship into one where you are somehow disconnected from that person so that when they're gone, you no longer really uh, notice or have to deal with the, the grief and the incredible emotions that come when you lose someone. And I would never hope for that because losing David, uh, loving him and losing him was far greater a blessing than to not have ever had his love or to have experienced the love that I have for him. And that love never leaves. So you continue to love that person. I continue to be strengthened by the love that we share. What a great answer. <laughs> What a great answer. That's so true because, yeah, if you're fully prepared to, to lose somebody, um, that means, yeah, you should be prepared not to, to love them as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think it links right back to the whole concept of resilience, which is that we, if we're resilient, then we're willing to step out on a limb. We're willing to live our lives as fully as we possibly can, not because we're fully prepared, but because we know that we will struggle And we will learn from that struggle and we'll be okay. Yeah, it's part of life, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Part of being alive. It's really yeah. a wonderful perspective. Um, I guess my last question before my final uh, once is about the current situation with the virus and how can we use your, your book and your wisdom to go through the challenges? Yeah, so I've been thinking about this, writing about this lots in the last several weeks. Um, and so I think the key is that we need to be kind to ourselves. We need to recognize that we are in a tough, difficult struggle, all of us. And, and it looks really different depending on your situation. Um, and definitely some people are, are struggling <clears throat> more than others. But at the end of the day, we need to just notice where we are What I would recommend and have recommended to people is that they take the time now 
to maybe do the self-assessment that we do have on the website. And the purpose would be to recognize not uh, where you need to develop, but rather where your strengths are today. Because what's interesting about resilience is that while we're struggling, as we are right now, isn't a time to develop new skills, particularly. It's like uh, when you show up to run the marathon, that isn't the day that you're now going to develop your endurance. You're going to use the endurance that you've already developed over years and months or whatever it is to get ready for that marathon. So in a way, that's how I look at our current situation, that we're in a place now where we, we can look at what are our strengths? What am I already good at? And then make sure that you're using those strengths right now. So for instance, the one I was thinking about for myself was I'm not great at nutrition, at eating well. I have my comfort foods. And when I feel stressed, I like to go to the peanut butter. <laughs> I have my comfort foods. And so I've noticed in the last month or so that although I'm using most of my resilient strengths, I'm not doing a fabulous job on eating perfectly. And I'm recognizing that I don't want to fuss about that right now. I want to just allow myself the peanut butter sandwich because that is not my strength. That is my comfort food. It's not a time to eat all my salads and, you know, count all my calories and be perfect at eating. It's a time to use my helping others uh, you know, the things I'm already really good at, it's the time for me to think about my values and my vision and, and sort of capitalize on what I'm already good at and just give myself a break around the pieces that I'm maybe struggling with and that I, you know, that have never been strengths for me. I think that makes sense. Hopefully that makes sense for other people to just notice what are you, what are you good at and are you using those and how can you capitalize and use those areas more? How can you, for instance, if you're a helper as I am, um, you know, it makes me feel so much better when I have the ch chance to help other people. And so I'm reaching out to folks, I'm sending a note here, I'm sending, you know, and I'm doing what I can to help those around me. That makes me feel great. And it, it helps me through this difficult time. And then I'm giving myself a break where I need to. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, especially when you gave the example of the marathon, running a marathon. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting, because I, I think as we go through this, it's not that there's no opportunity for learning. We absolutely will learn and we will develop our resilience as we go through this. But um, at the same time, it isn't, if that's your goal, I think you're being hard on yourself. It's not a time to set goals of suddenly, for instance, you know, fixing all the relationships and, and, and creating boundaries <laughs> around, you know, it's a time for, you know, just noticing those. So, you know, which people as you go through this are helping in your life and, and which people are really kind of dragging you down. And then let's give ourselves a few months. And as things settle, and as we get back to some, uh, maybe a new normal, whatever it is, then you can come back and think about, you know what, as I was really struggling, that particular relationship was in my way. And so now is the time to, to make some changes and to look at what should be different so that the next time I have to run a marathon, I have the right people in my in my camp. And I've I've taken away the the damage that that particular individual might be doing. Yeah, I like that. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book before I ask you my final question, Skellian? Oh, this is probably my favorite poem. So it's David Wagner, Lost. Stand still. The trees ahead and the bushes beside you are not lost. 
wherever you are is called here, and you must treat it as a powerful stranger, must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen, it answers. I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying, here. No two trees are the same to raven. No two branches are the same to wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. Yeah, I heard about that poem, oh, years back, almost, yeah, many years ago. I was mesmerized by that. Yeah, the, the forest knows where you are, right? Exactly. It's so true. And to me, <laughs> so it's true. about the universe, right? So if you feel lost, you just need to center. You just need to think about uh, the fact that you're part of this system. You're not, you're not alone. You're in this with, um, with everybody else and all the other uh, consciousness in the universe. Yeah. That we are life itself, not separate from life. Right. Sometimes we do feel separate, but yeah, it's not the truth, but it's easy. Right. So my last, uh, I think I have, Two, yeah, two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you change anything or do anything differently? I don't think I would. And I think that um, I talk about death in the book and I would like to talk about death more because I think that one of the key things that gets in the way of our resilience is our fear of death. And so I am not afraid of death. I am curious about death. Um, I don't want to die. I want to continue raising my children and I feel uh, the need to be here and to to be here to support them and hopefully to continue continue my work and help other people. Um, But the question doesn't terrify me because I've chosen to work towards not fearing death. It doesn't make sense to me anymore to fear death because I just... I just know that there is something beyond where we are today. There's something beyond life. And so, as I say, to me, it's it's just a curiosity. I love the way you said that. Yeah, you wouldn't make any change. You wouldn't do anything. In the beginning of the conversation, when I asked you the opposite of life, in you, the comment that you made, not living out dreams or, or gifts, the purpose. So, yeah, that's what I call death. Do you believe in life after death or any kind of life? (laughs) (laughs) I know it. Yeah. To me, it's not even a belief. It's just a known. And so um, what's clear to me is, uh, so as David left this world, left his body, uh, he didn't leave us. And so uh, if there was any question in my mind before he passed, Um, There was no longer after he was gone because he's not not gone. Um, And so it's it's been an interesting journey um, because I don't think I really knew for sure until I experienced his energy, um, which remains around us all the time. Um, so it just became so easy to, to understand that, in fact, people don't leave us. They just change. And that's where my curiosity is, because I, I uh, literally am dying to know. <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> I will die and know uh, what this is and what it looks like and what it feels like. And I'm, I'm very curious. 
But I have often come back to the idea, uh, the basic laws of physics, so, you know, energy cannot be created nor destroyed. And for those of us, and many have had the opportunity to watch someone die, you know that that body had an energy that leaves it. And so where does that energy go? That cannot be destroyed. And therefore, it makes perfect sense to me that, in fact, that energy remains um, in whatever form it is. Uh, it remains around us. Wow. Yeah, that made me think about love. Like you speaking of energy, there's no energy more powerful than love. Exactly. And that's exactly what that energy is. That energy is love. There is no question. That is what remains of David is the love that he has for us. Yeah. Right. That's wonderful. And love can never die. It can. Yeah. And I also love what you said about knowing. This is not a belief. It's a knowing. Right. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. Oh, wow. So uh, my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of today? Well, one of them is what we just talked about. I know that life is only part of the journey. I know that life can have challenges and that it's far better to take those challenges on than to be so fearful of them that you cannot truly live your life. And I know for me, and I don't say this is true for everyone, but for me, a useful life will be one where I have had the chance to help other people and have had the opportunity to impact positively on other people's lives. Thank you so much for your presence, your wisdom, your love, the peace that you emanate and the insightful conversation. Thank you so much, Kellyanne. Oh, thank you, Valeria. It's been lovely to talk to you. I uh, have really, really enjoyed it. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So the simplest thing would be just to, to look at the website, theresiliencewaycom And from there, you can reach any uh, information about the book. Um, and especially, as I mentioned, I think the self-assessment, as people are sort of going through what they're going through right now, uh, it might be a very helpful way to get an immediate, completely free piece of feedback. You'll, you'll see a report, a PDF report very quickly that'll tell you what are those strengths that you can use to, uh, to get through the difficult times right now. Thank you so much again, Kellyanne, and we'll talk soon. My Thank pleasure. You. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Kellyanne McKnight, please visit her website, theresiliencewaycom To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.